Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt and Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to this uh, episode of the H2O Podcast. It is uh, a different night than our normal night, uh, and there's a reason for that. Um, we have... Uh, did you did you go and see it uh, at all? I did not. I okay. was kind of hoping to, and then things. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Well, tonight's tonight's topic, this is episode 179, and we are going to be talking about Deep Space Nine uh, tonight. And in the spirit of Star Trek, I can tell you that my computer is being a Herbert. Uh, <laughs> so I, I am out. I'm doing stagehand work all day today. And... 7.15, 7.30 is the first time tonight to, is the first time I've turned the computer on today at all. Mm -hmm. And I have to reboot immediately because it's just not doing anything. Right. And then um, I can't export the opening title sequence for the show. It freezes. It just, it just stops. It just hangs there. I can't launch Photoshop to build a graphic for the show. Um, and then we get on the, the video call here, and I can't hear you. And when I go to change, you know, look at my settings and see if there's something on my end, I hear this, boom, boom. And I know that the USB ports are about to just go crazy, and I lose my mouse. And I was like, all right. So I had to reboot again. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, it's been one of those nights. So Herbert the Gremlin is well us and, tonight. And uh, for those of you who have ever paid attention to my automotive travails uh, <laughs> over the years, lots of adventures with cars. Uh, the the Dumina, the 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 Dumina, which is the Lumina of Doom. There was the Saturn of Doom. Um, you know. Uh, I, I had lots of fun with cars, and my current car is a Scion, which I've had for about two and a half years now, and it's actually been uh, very reliable. I'm very pleased with the car. Um, you know, it's I, we've had to do. I've had to replace some tires, but this is Kansas City coming off the winter. This is pothole central. Right. right. I mean, the, the, this city is not kind to the to to tires. Uh, especially in the Westport area where I live. And so I've had to, you know, replace all my tires, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so now I've got a CV joint sound coming uh, when I turn the wheel of the car. And I'm like, so I'm, I texted you earlier and went, yep. so <laughs> I'm going to be paranoid. Now, and, so of course, the thing is, is that unlike the other cars, this car has a warranty. Which is good. Which is very good. But it also has car payments. <laughs> Well, so you, know, you, you have know, to, you have good to. Good and bad, but no, I'm, bad. I'm, you know, so I'm just, I'm just being a little, and of course, ironically, I have for the first ever, 
I need my car the least at this point in my life because I work from home. Yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, I'm just like, uh, <laughs> I'm just going to be paranoid. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of um, uh, getting new stuff to replace the stuff what's broken, uh, let's talk for a minute about superhero stuff. Um, mm-hmm. They're not going to be able to replace anything that we've got that's broken, but they have. <laughs> oh come on! Uh, no, no, no. I should I should send them a note and say, hey, you guys should sell computers and car parts, and, <laughs> and then we get a discount code like we do. Um, <clears throat> so no, but they do have they do have a lot of good uh, good stuff, uh, licensed merchandise from your favorite franchises, and if you enter Sci Fi for Me ten when you check out, you can get a 10% discount on your purchase and that can be used in combination with other uh um what's the what's the word I'm looking for discounted prices and sale price, sale item. price items and yeah. and reduced items and stuff so uh so give them a look and uh, check them out and uh, remember you can get that discount code sci-fi for me 10 okay so tonight Deep Space Nine. Uh, Ira Stephen Bear, who was the showrunner for Deep Space Nine, got together with some people and did a documentary about the show, about what the show meant and what kind of impact it had on not only on Star Trek fans, but also on uh, pop culture the entertainment industry, the Hollywood industry. And it's a very interesting, it's a very interesting look at the show because it's not just a retrospective, uh, a retrospective about, about the show. It's, uh, at one point, uh, Ira talks about, you know, this is, it started out as a way to give the cast validation that Star Trek Deep Space Nine was a Star Trek show, was a good Star Trek show. It does have a following. It did have an impact. It does mean something. Because at the time, they were the redheaded stepchild. Um, As they describe it, they were the middle child. They were the ones because you had the Enterprise that was just, you had Next Generation was just going off when, when DS9 came on. And then as DS9 is on, Voyager comes on. So you got the two, they're bookended by the two spaceship shows. And the the big thing was um, nobody's going to want to watch a show set on a space station. And right. the, the idea here that, that you couldn't tell those kind of stories because, you know, for, for so many, so long, we heard you know, complaints about when the next generation did a what they call a bottle show, which was basically, you know, anything that puts the the crew stuck on the ship. Right. And it was one of those things where <clears throat> how can you tell a story if they're not exploring? You know, the whole idea of Star Trek is to go exploring, you know, out there when no one has gone before and all of that. And you're stuck on a space station and you've got this planet and you've got this wormhole and 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 the the reaction you know it's funny they read some of the some of the critiques and some of the criticisms that people had and it's it's 
it's hard to remember that time when people were not happy with DS9. Right. And one of the things that they cover in this is the is the way the show has basically come into its own in this era of binge watching right. where you have you know because what was it in in the fourth season is when they started doing the long arcs and the serialized stories and it's not something anybody was doing in Hollywood. They were they were like, "Why are you going to do this? You're going to you're killing your show. You're going to kill your show with this." And you know, given that DS9 was in syndication in various different markets, there was no, "Hey, hey, hey. What happened? What's Sorry, folks. The dog just kind of went berserk like she got hurt or something. Um, she's, what? Oh, all right. Well, all right. Office dog Wrangler is handling that. Sorry, folks. Sorry for that interruption. She was, yeah, yipe, yipe, yipe. It was like, wait, what? What's going on? Ah, and I've lost my train of thought. So, um, that's. Oh, you were, you were, you were talking about how people were, you know, this, (laughs) this really wasn't, this isn't Star Trek. Yeah. Well, and and the idea that um, now with Netflix and binge watching, you could actually see and I and I and I had just gotten through um, not too not too many months ago. I had binge watched uh, DS Nine from the beginning to end, just went all the way through. Yeah. And what you miss in the weekly episodic schedule. You really pick up on when you binge watch, when you watch three or four or five or seven, ten episodes in a row, just one right after the other, because you see where one leads to the next, leads to the next, leads to the Mm -hmm. next. And I think ultimately Netflix has probably done more to revive an interest in DS9 than anybody else would have anticipated, because, you know, now... there's still not any talk of DS9 on Blu-ray, but but um, as a consequence of this project, you know they had you know clips from the show that they wanted to incorporate into the documentary, and of course the documentary is being shot in HD, right? And the original DS9 was broadcast in SD. However, it was shot on 35 millimeter film. It was framed for widescreen, right. and um, they brought—they actually brought in Jonathan West, who was the director of photography for seasons three through seven, I think. And they said it was his very first time seeing it the way he intended it, the way he shot it. Yeah, because you didn't have any of that detail in in, in SD, and um, and so what they ended up doing, they had they had I think twenty twenty two minutes of clips, it was scattered throughout this thing, and CBS Digital scanned the shooting negatives. 
now let's 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 be clear about something <laughs> because um they didn't scan the show the episode the finished episode uh-huh they scanned the raw camera takes oh and what they ended up doing is they went through and they found all of the clips that they wanted and they went and and I don't know how much of the show was scanned, mm -hmm. but then they had to go back through all of the camera logs to find out where are the takes that were used in the show. Oh, God. <clears throat> and where were the angles that were used in the oh, show? And where God. is this? And where is that? But here's the thing. They're scanning the entire reel of film. Right, yeah. All of the reels of film. So if I'm understanding it right, it's a very it's a very real possibility, and I don't know if the entire show has been scanned in like this, mm -hmm. but there's a very real possibility the entire show has been scanned in digital now, and so it is a possibility. It's now they they now have the capability. They've you know if they've got the digital scans of the 35 millimeter negative. Right, because they did all of the color correction and the stuff on these on these uh, these clips in order for it to look like it did when it was broadcast. Sure, but the colors are more vibrant and the blacks are richer and there's more contrast. Okay. You know, of course, what you do with HD, and if that's the case, and given how well this this documentary has been, you know, the word of mouth and the buzz on it has been very positive. And it's a very good documentary. It's very good. And it doesn't it doesn't gloss over um it it meets the the Terry Farrell situation pretty much head on mm -hmm. um with her her issues and why she left the show. It doesn't spend a lot of time on it. But it does give you a little bit of context. But Michael Dorn made a good point. He said, none of us are ever going to know everything that happened with that unless somebody wants to tell us. Right. Because Terry Farrell yeah. got all the way up to the president of Paramount Television. And there were tears and there were arguments and there was there – was, there was, she, she said, nobody was listening to me. Nobody was acknowledging what I was saying. And she was very frustrated because basically she got told by one of the one of the producers at the time, she said that somebody came to her. It was there. It was there. I think it was the end of the fifth season. It was time to renegotiate contracts. Mm -hmm. And she basically got told, you know, you wouldn't be anything without this show. You should take the deal and be happy with it. And that started the process of, well, wait a minute. No, this show wouldn't be anything without us. I have value. I have, you know, something to contribute. And, and Dax is a very popular character. You know, there were all of these things to discuss. Right. And it led to a not very nice split. Um, she was very upset that they killed her off because yeah. that's, a, that's done. She's never coming back, and uh, and there were you know there were a lot of hurt feelings, but well, especially in a show like DS Nine where the the violence level and the level of risk for characters was much much higher than on any other Star Trek show. Oh yeah, 
Yeah, well, and and as part of this thing, they got they got some of the writers back together. Um, Hans Be Hans Beimler, 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 uh, Ronald D. Moore, Robert Hewitt, uh, Robert Wolf Hewitt, Robert Hewitt Wolf. Which is it, Robert Hewitt Wolf, Robert Robert Wolf Hewitt? Oh yeah, yeah. And then um, Renee Echeverria and um, and Iris Stephen Bear and. He got them together and said, okay, let's do a little bit of a thought experiment here. Let's break down the pi the first episode of season eight. If it were to come back now, where mm -hmm. would we be? You know, it's 20 years later. Where would we be? And they started breaking this thing down. <clears throat> Nog was captain of the Defiant. And as he comes out, he's, you know, we open in, in the teaser. I'm not going to give it all away, but we open in the teaser. They're under fire. They're racing for the wormhole to get home. They come back out. Nog signals the station. The ship blows up. That's the teaser. Yeah. You know, Nog's dead at, at this point. And, and so, yeah. And, and as you say, you know, that, uh, Ira Baird made that same point. He's like, this is D this is deep space nine. You know, anything can happen to anybody. Right. And they, I mean, they broke down an entire episode right there throughout the, throughout the documentary. And it was like, well, you know, I kind of want to see this episode <laughs> now. And it was like, this is intriguing, especially given where they took all of the characters. Yeah. Um, but it's a very good documentary. It's called What We Left Behind. Let me do that. There's the poster. No, you don't see the poster. There's the poster right there. Uh, Iris Stever Bear, uh, the showrunner for uh, for um, for DS9, put this thing together, and uh, this was done by the same guy who did the documentaries that um, William Shatner did with the captains right. and, yeah, and yeah. that. And he said Shatner's not going to do anymore. He went to Ira Ira during uh, during a Las Vegas thing. And said, "Do you want to be the next Bill Shatner? And let's do a documentary on DS9." And you're like, "Well, sure, why not?" And <laughs> it's like three years later, he finds out why not. So, but there was a crowdfunding component. There's a lot of pieces that didn't make the final cut of the of the released documentary that we saw as part of the Fathom events. But there's a lot of extras on the DVD Blu-ray that's coming mm -hmm. out, I think, in August. Um, I'd have to look that up. But, um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was a good, it was a good look back at, uh, at the show. And, and I think for a lot of people, the, the argument, you know, the, the complaint that DS9 was the dark Star Trek, um, that's something that I think over time has actually enhanced the series mm -hmm. because that show was able to go some places that the other shows didn't do. Well, you know, I mean, I'm sure you may remember this at the time as well, but there was the talk that, you know, the Starfleet, you know, Star Trek's future is optimistic and people get along and there's not this, you know, we've, we've gotten beyond these petty things and Deep Space Nine was like, we're still human. We're still flawed. Mm -hmm. The striving to be better is what matters. 
when we fall, we still get back up. And sometimes, and there was some, especially during the middle of the war. And I mean, there's that incredibly powerful episode where Cisco is, look, is recording his logs and I just drew a blank on the name of the episode. Um, I know which one you're talking about. Um, they actually but, they actually left that out of the documentary, but they mentioned it at the end. Yeah, because um, I mean, he basically is talking about doing something which on every conceivable level is ethically wrong. And he's aware of it, but it's going to save lives. Now, this is, this is the situation where he basically lies to the Romulans to get them on board in the war. Right. As right. Allies. And, and it's, it's something that you cannot imagine James Kirk doing. You cannot imagine uh, Picard doing. These are just this is but but he's looking at this and it's such a powerful moment because this is somebody who is he is willingly doing something that is staining his soul in his own mind to save the lives of millions and millions of people. And he also, I mean, it's, it, it's an incredibly powerful moment of television. And I don't think you would have gotten that kind of, of power out of that moment if it hadn't been, you know, a serialized story, if it hadn't been showing that the, the shiny, beautiful side of, of the Federation wasn't always there that it was made up of people yeah we don't know no matter what what planet they were born on or how many antenna they had they were always you know deep space nine was in many ways more than any other of the other star trek shows to that point about the people involved well and i think the other the other thing too is one of the complaints that some people had about the next generation was that everybody on the ship got along and yeah. you know it was it was the the starship Hilton in the decor, and yeah. you had families and everybody got along and there wasn't any conflict and I that that's that's one of the things that I think uh, Rick Berman and Gene Roddenberry kind of went head to head on sometimes was yeah. if you're going to tell a story there has to be some conflict and Roddenberry was. As I as I remember hearing the stories, Roddenberry was adamant that there wasn't any conflict in the main cast, which right. takes away so much dramatic potential for mm -hmm. some of the different stories that you're going to take. And, and then the stories become about the, the guest stars. Yeah. And DS9 didn't have that problem. DS9, you had, you know, I mean, your second in command was a terrorist. And this is all, this is all of this stuff... Before nine eleven, mm -hmm. uh, and of course that 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 comes up because if this show had begun after nine eleven, Kira would have been a very different character and probably would have been received differently. Oh yeah, because of her background and her history, it's entirely possible that. She might not have even had the same background that she that she had as as part of it. Well, it would have so. definitely it would have been a. And I know that I know that doing message episodes has its pros and cons, especially in a show that is like you know Star Trek, where you can do that, and you can do it in a way that often works very very well in, in the 
storytelling. You go to you go to a world, you get to come in their society. It's a reflection of ours. The original series did that all the time, um, and Next Generation did it, and and Deep Space Nine did to a, to a point as well. Um, it would have been it would have been an opportunity that would have been rife with potential pitfalls. Yeah. To really explore that. But but the thing is, is that on a show like DS9, you might have been able to get away with it. Well, and the other thing, too, is, you know, you know the topic of war, mm-hmm. you know, the cost of war, the the aftermath of war, the effects of war. Um, right. You know, Nog's arc where he's injured and he loses a leg and he's, you know, he's basically hiding in the holodeck because he doesn't want to face life anymore. He's just like... I can't do it. I just want to stay here. And, you know, Vic Fontaine looks at him and says, you know, you do that, you're going to die slowly, just piece by piece. And you're, you're never, you know, you're never going to have a life. And especially, especially when you consider that this character was a comedic character. Nog is basically the, you know, he's, he's the, like the, all the Ferengi came to be. They're the comic relief of the show. Right. When you yank that away and you show the consequences, potentially, I mean, admittedly, you're doing it with a character who's not part of the core main cast. And yet, Deep Space Nine was also more so than the Star Trek shows before. And I think after it until Discovery, more of an ensemble cast. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, can, I can agree with that. And I think that they were able to do things because of that, that you could have that emotional impact. Yeah. Um, where you could take a character that you you generally go, ha ha, he's funny, and then it's like, oh, wait, what? And and have some impact there that you wouldn't necessarily have. Well, the other thing too is you know you see um, when uh, when Michael Keaton was cast as Batman, mm-hmm. a lot of people yeah. were like, what, 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 what? Wait, Mr. What, Mom, what? yeah, Mr. Mom is Batman. It doesn't work. He's a comedic actor, right? Yeah. And, you know, we saw this with Robin Williams. A lot of people, mm-hmm. you know, when he started to do drama and um, Will Ferrell, when he started to do some things that were outside mm-hmm. of his comic milieu. Tim um, Carrey, uh, t- uh, 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 Jim Carrey in The Truman Show. Yeah. yeah. Or uh, The Majestic. And when they first branch out like that, people t- kind of tend to take a step back. But... Right. People also tend to forget that comedy is much more difficult because it involves a certain amount of truth, a certain amount of painful truth, and a lot of and a lot of times um, a sense timing. of timing. timing. Yes, timing is everything on those. But um, the performances in a in a comedy, depending on how it's done. They take a lot more of an emotional investment in, mm-hmm. in certain cases, and I think when you look at Nog's arc, you know the fact that yes, he did start off as the troublemaker, the comic relief, the you know the the plucky nephew who's always getting into trouble, and right. you know you know he's he's just basically there as a as a polar opposite for Jake, right. You know he's a bad influence on Jake, but Jake's a good influence on him, and you know they've you know they're, they've got that that good cop bad cop, you know that that buddy cop right, vibe yeah. there. Oh, uh-huh. Let's go do this. But 
then it evolves. His arc evolves. Well, all of the Ferengi on that show evolved over time. And and the funny thing was, uh, I was listening. Uh, Armin Shimmerman was talking about any time there was a Ferengi episode, you know, where you had uh, the focus on Quark and Nog and maybe Grand Nagas Zek came in or, or Brunt or any of those guys. Anytime there was a Ferengi-centric episode, mm-hmm. he had all of them over at his house on the weekend before they started shooting, and they would they would run the lines. They would rehearse, mm-hmm. and they would get all of this stuff done. And uh, Max Grudinchik, uh talked about, you know, because they were able because they did that because they invested that kind of time he said we already had it in the tank by the time we've got the makeup on because we've already done it so much because there's you know they're shooting 14 16 hour days mm-hmm. and right. you're in the makeup chair for two three four hours already and by the time you get to set you're already tired and yeah. now you've got to put all of this out um, Wallace Shawn says that at one point he actually fell asleep on set while they were shooting. <laughs> while they were shooting a scene, he's he's in full makeup, mm-hmm. and they show a photograph of him. He's in the he's in the Grand Nigga's throne. Uh, he's just sitting there, and he's just nodded off, just <laughs> just gone. Oh yeah. So it, it's a it's a it's a good it's a good documentary i highly recommend it i think it's i think it's a it's well worth the time and i do intend to go through the the special features and mm-hmm. see what else is on there because they do show some stills of interviews that didn't make the cut yeah uh, so there's there's a lot and there's a lot in there it's packed it's packed with a lot of things so, well i think it's interesting because I've, I've been seeing some parallels between the reaction to Discovery and the reaction to Deep Space Nine. And there's they're so far apart in terms of time. And yet the response, the, the reactions are so incredibly similar. Um, you know, some of the de- details are different, but we heard at the time, you know, we don't want to see, you know, we don't want to see a show set on a space station. We don't want to see a show that's not about a captain. There were people who were complaining about the color of a- color of Avery Brooks' skin way back when. I mean, this is this the complaints that we got for that came about with Discovery sound an awful lot like the complaints for Deep Space Nine. They're just more I, of them. You know, I don't I don't recall <sighs> Okay, when Discovery was first announced, and they announced uh, what's her name, Sonequa Martin Green, yeah. as mm-hmm. the lead, I don't, I don't remember seeing a whole lot of complaints about. Well, I, I don't remember seeing any complaints about the fact that she was black. I saw, no, I saw I'm not, complaints. I'm not, there, I'm not saying there was specifically that complaint about her, but I saw, I did see complaints. That she was making comments about being the first black lead in a Star Trek show, and there were a lot of people that were kind of doing the doing the the cocker spaniel look, basically like, yeah. wait a minute. Well, and uh-huh. I, and I honestly, care. I, I have a vague memory of her clarifying that she meant the first female black lead, but I'm also I'm also. Yeah, but, had but, that did, but did you get I a first? Know. 
Well, I know, but female but Voyager. People are people are really good at people are really good at at saying these kind of things <laughs> and dwelling on them is kind of pointless in the grand scheme of things. But because they really kind of are. I mean, all, how many actors have said something dumb? <laughs> how many how many people who are talking to anybody who's interviewing them have said something dumb how many times have we said something dumb on this show i mean come on i we've uh, never said anything dumb on this show lies and slander <laughs> um so but what's interesting about you know because you know, the one of the big complaints was that especially in season one and i'm and, and this is this is i i found season one of discovery to be awkward Mm-hmm. Okay, and and yet I every time I sat there and went, okay, do I keep watching? I also remembered that the f- season, first season of um, Next Generation is awful. Oh yeah, it yeah. ages incredibly. The first season of DS Nine is not great. No, the and first, <laughs> you know, first season of, of Voyager is the same way. Enterprise. All yeah. of them, because they're finding their footing and everybody's exactly. learning how to work with each other. And, and Discovery, know, got, Discovery tried something really, really ambitious, which is a dangerous thing to do when you're trying to find your footing, is let's tell the story of the Klingon, big Klingon war that the original series references that we've never shown before. Yeah. And let's try and do it in a new way. And let's try and do this new thing. And we got this, you know, let's, know, all the all the things. And so, you know, there's there's moments of really sharp storytelling in season one, and there's moments where, no, uh, it's not. And then season two, the show really found its way. And I think in some ways, by leaning into some of the things that made uh, Deep Space Nine really great, which is really recognizing that if you play with the ensemble, and if you give everybody something to do, you can still have your core story character. In this particular case, it's Burnham in Deep Space Nine. It was, you know, it was Cisco. It's always, it's always the person who is, you know, um, the leader figure, even yeah. whatever their rank, right? Um, and so when you look at that sort of thing, you know, with the second season of Discovery, they actually found that, but they also dived into, again, they leaned into some of the things that make the earlier shows great. You know, they wow. bring in, they bring in <clears throat> the noble captain figure after they spent the first season saying, showing, you know, don't you miss the noble captain figure? Because we've given you an entire season of a character who is Not. either trauma- traumatized by war which is how it's played for a long time before you realize, oh, but wait, that's not <laughs> it. Um, and then, you know, and, and they, they played with some stuff. They, and it's serialized storytelling, of course. It's very mm-hmm. much. Uh, and so it, I, think, I think Discovery leans heavily on the model of Deep Space Nine for good and for ill. Yeah. Um, and I think that they don't always get stuff right, but I've also found, especially in the second season, the same strengths that I saw in a show like DS9. And it's a very different model. So people who sit there and they, if they watch Next Generation and they didn't like Deep Space Nine, they're going to watch a show like Discovery and go, oh, this is not my Star Trek. And right. you know what? They're kind of right. At the same time, the great thing about Star Trek, um, and I think that that 
you run into this when you look at trying to step outside the model for something like Star Wars, um, which we saw, you know, with Ryan Johnson making a film that that pe some people sat there and went, "You've done this! You've done this uh, incredible break from the model." Some people said, "No, we don't want you to break from the model," yeah. which is which is important uh, in in terms of storytelling. Sometimes Star Trek has that flexibility where you can actually sit there and go. You know, here's the original series. Here's Next Generation, which is sort of a spiritual successor to the original series. Right. Now with families. You've got Deep Space Nine, which is, um, you know, a war show, ultimately. And, a, you know, a war, it, a war show, me, and a religion show and a social and a social structure show. Yeah. But to me, it started off almost almost like a Western. I mean, you're in mm -hmm. a, you're in a frontier town yeah. and you've got the new sheriff. And yeah. he's got to put everything back together, and then it turned into a war show. Yeah, that's very true. I don't, don't think I don't think you would have had. I mean, when when you consider that the basic premise of um, Discovery, starting off the show, is a well-meaning Starfleet officer makes a terrible, terrible mistake and starts a war. I mean, it starts off from a point of view where, you know. We're already in this awful situation, and our main character is the one who caused it. Right. So you have this, I mean, you would not have been able to do that with Voyager or, you know, or Enterprise. Or, and and, and the, you, I don't think we would get a show like the Picard show, whatever it ends up being titled, if you hadn't had, you know, the show Deep Space Nine and, and Prestige Television. Yeah. And then Deep Space Nine was at the beginning of that. Deep Space Nine, Farscape, the serialized science fiction shows were ba really at the leading edge of that. Babylon 5, another example. Babylon 5. Um, and so you're going to, the evolution of being able to tell deeper and um, more involved character stories right. with Star Trek um, is something that. Um, the model for that was not there before DS9. In fact, it was actively avoided. You know, episodic yeah. TV. You had, you had a two-parter, you know, and it was often a season cliffhanger, and then the beginning of the next season was the second part of the episode. You well, know? And, I mean, and Paramount, uh, they, had, they interviewed the guy who was president of Paramount Television at the time, and he had even said, you know, they actively discouraged... Mm -hmm. uh, serialization because of you know the the episodic nature of television being the way it was at the time. Right. It's you know from a from a syndication standpoint, from a rerun standpoint, you know it's much easier to drop into one episode, tell the story, and it's done, and then you don't have to worry about what's going to happen next week. You don't have to worry about catching up on what's already already played. Yeah, you know, mm -hmm. there was all of that, you know, being being factored in on on doing that. And they threw all of that out and they went ahead yeah. and they did the serialization anyway. And uh, Rick Berman was even against it at one point. He was like, this is not a good idea. This is, you know, this is going to this is going to hurt the show. Yeah. And in the beginning, I think he was right. They, you know, everybody saw the because one being a syndicated show 
it doesn't have a fixed time all the time everywhere. So because right. it's yeah. not on a network in some places it ran at 3 a.m. Some places it ran at seven o'clock. Sometimes it ran at noon. It just depended on on what station had it in what right. market and where it was running. Um, for me growing up, I saw um, I saw the Star Trek shows. D, uh, Next Generation ran on uh, on Channel 21, KTXA. It was an independent station. And they ran it Saturday night, 7 o'clock. And when Deep Space Nine came in, they ran DS9 after Next Generation. So you got, you got both of them back to back. But you still had that week to week you had to wait. Right. And... For serialization, that doesn't always that doesn't always promote the audience coming back. They're like, oh, you got I gotta come and do back another week. I want to know what happened. Right. <clears throat> but now, with serialization being what it is, and binge watching, and you know all of the stuff with Netflix and Hulu and and Amazon Prime, and and now we're gonna get you know Disney Plus and CBS All Access and all this other other mess. It's easier to sit and watch all of those shows and tell those longer stories. And and you can even tell when the show breaks the model of episodic television and starts going into that because not only are, are the writers having to break down an episode, but they're having to plan the entire season – Right. In yeah. order to know where the next piece is, where it's going, because episode one leads to something in episode five, leads to something in episode nine, goes to 12, goes to 22. I mean, there are callbacks and mm -hmm. there are things that go through all of the different pieces of that season to get to the end where you have the season finale and everybody's just like, <gasps> what's going to happen next? I got right. it. When's the next season coming? You know, so it was it's. Yeah. Well, and, and at this at the same time, around that same time. I want to say it was about that same time. I'd have to look it up. Murder one. Right. Yeah. Which was uh, one of I mean, you still you, you, pretty much the only show that had done serialized storytelling up to that point was Hill Street Blues. Or, or soap operas. I mean, they were completely yes, different, soap operas. Completely different model. And when Murder One did it, their first season, where they took on an they took on one case, and you had an entire season, and this is back when seasons were twenty two episodes long, right? To go through that entire case from the beginning to trial and all of the stuff. And it was really, really, really intricate. And to it me, I good. thought it was good. Yeah, it was absolutely, it was a fantastic way of doing a law show yeah. because up until that point, all of the law shows, you know, you're at trial in the third act and right. it's, you know, and it's, and it's all done and decided by, by act five and, and you're at the credits and everything's kind of reset. Mm-hmm. Murder One took that into, but it it wasn't very successful in terms of ratings, right? And so the next season, uh, you had a different lead uh, because nobody liked. Oh, I can't remember his name. I thought he was brilliant. I thought no, it was great. It was, the first uh, season, the first season was incredibly strong. Yeah. In retrospect, 
it it is a, a really incredible piece of television. It is, yeah. especially especially for the time. And I think that I think that we we've gotten so used to what the model looks like now. It's yeah. so prevalent. We're so used to binge watching. And honestly, that's that's why that's why I, I think I enjoyed for all its flaws, Discovery as much as I did was because I got to watch it in chunks. I wasn't waiting a week in between each episode. I was watching two or three episodes back to back. Yeah. And I was seeing what they were trying to do with characters. And when it worked, it was great. And when it didn't, I could, you know, I could still see it. I mean, it was still there. But when it worked, it was there and you could see what they were trying to do, whether they were successful at it or not. And I think that what ends up happening when you look at something, they're talking about the Picard show being one long movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just it, with, that's going to end like every hour, you know, it's just going to be, okay. You know, and presumably with some sort of, you know, logical pause point, but uh, you know, um, I've always wanted to see a TV show where they just, it just goes, Nope, we reached the 60 minute mark. We're done. Yeah, in the middle of a sentence, and then the next week they pick up writing. <laughs> it would drive people crazy, but I, I would be amused. Um, but it ends up being one of those things where, if you look at this and you consider what they're, however you feel about the CBS All Access thing, um, you know the 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 platform the the plans they have right now to to push Star Trek out into a bunch of different way, places all on television they're not even right now for all we can tell they're not thinking about movie stuff at all right because the the jj uh, verse is apparently done just because of and in, in large part because of contract negotiations well i think the other thing on that too is um yes they're they're doing a bunch of stuff on tv but you'll notice that all of the channels that are getting star trek are all Viacom properties. Nickelodeon's oh. getting the animated stuff, sure. CBS All oh. Access, CBS and all this. they got to make the money. But I also think that part of the reason why we're not getting any news about any movies yet may have something to do with the will they or won't they as it concerns the merger. Because, you know, we've been hearing rumblings the last, oh, what, six months or eight months that CBS and Paramount are looking at getting everything back together again. It'll all be one company now again. Um, oh, yeah. For, for, and for those that, could, you, for, that could have a, a big effect on how things oh, go. From oh, of course. But I think that I think, forward. you know, for, for the folks who, who don't follow this, basically these two entities own different parts of Star Trek to some degree. Yep. And so the one of the reasons that discovery looks different than it, than some of the a lot of the other star trek is because it has to um because there's certain things that the movies can do that the tv show can't and, and vice versa, versa. Yeah. so it's been um it's just a thing that has to do with licensing rights and what and and broadcast and all these fun things but it literally has it literally has gets in the way of of a unified vision mm -hmm. right television um but on the other hand you know as as much as i think that the star trek movies found their footing in the last film it actually got the closest that 
I think fans could reasonably expect it to get to the tone of right. the original cast movies. Yeah. It was also the lowest box office uh, uh, returns, which is a shame because it's the of, of the new of the new cast films. Yeah, it was the one I enjoyed the most, even though it has some. Well, it's a Star Trek movie. Do not stare directly <laughs> at all the science. Some of it's really good. Some of it not so much. I think some of that too is uh, similar to what we saw with Enterprise where the first two or three seasons, I mean, you had the time war and you had all this other mess yeah. that was going on. By the time we get to season four, people have already checked out. And yeah. season four, I think, is the best of the four seasons because when Manny Cotto came on board, he said, okay, it's time to make a Star Trek show. Yeah. Because, you know, you started to see that show uh, makes strides toward aligning with continuity in ways that fans had been complaining about up until that point. It was like, there's, where's the continuity? This is supposed to be a Star Trek show, and all of this stuff is, this This doesn't make any sense. Why is all of this in here? And when, right. Manny, Cotto, when Manny Cotto came aboard, I think Manny Cotto could have saved that show if he'd come on board maybe a year earlier. Or, you know, just if the fans had stuck it out one more season, then, you know, it would have, you know, Manny Cotto would have righted the ship. He was in the process yeah. of doing that. It's the same with, with uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., where you had that whole first season where they were essentially handcuffed mm -hmm. by Winter Soldier. Or, right. no, or was it was it Winter Soldier? Was it, was it, um, yeah. uh, yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. Winter Soldier, <clears throat> and they couldn't do anything except just kind of spin their wheels until Winter Soldier came out. <clears throat> After that, I mean, they'd already lost what seventy percent of their oh yeah audience, and they never came back. So well, you know, those kind of things. If you would have flipped, if you would have flipped Star Trek Beyond and Star Trek Into Darkness in the film schedule, yeah, you would have had. I think a much well. First of all, Beyond would have done, I think, a lot better box office because it came coming off the success of the first one. It didn't betray fan expectations and and sort of just sort of because there's there's some you know Peter Peter Weller and and Benedict Cumberbatch give great performances in a film that they're the only ones who are playing villains that aren't supposed to be in Star Trek. Um, <laughs> I mean. <laughs> yeah. There, you can have these characters, but it's something else. It's you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna do a modern a quote unquote, and I, this the sentence doesn't even sound right to me. A modern version of Wrath of Khan. Nah. I know, nah. but if, but if you're gonna do that, you got to earn it, right? Yeah, and they hadn't and done so that yet. You can't do it in the second film, so you shouldn't do it in the third film either. But you could have. It would have still ticked off fans. There's no way around that fact. Yeah. But but well, and if you if you consider that. Uh, Wrath of Khan came after, you know, yes, one movie, but you had three seasons on TV. You had exactly. how many seasons? How many? Years well, the animated it. stuff too. Yeah. You know, for a lot of people, the animated stuff counts. Of course. And you know, you've got all these books and 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 mm -hmm. every, all of the ancillary stuff. But Wrath of Khan came after years. Of mm -hmm. these people playing these parts, these characters, right. 
And you're right. The the second JJ track doing a retread of Wrath of Khan, they didn't earn that. They they no. never earned it. And I don't think and, to and, this day they wouldn't have been able to do it. No, they wouldn't they wouldn't have earned it if they had been the third film in the series, but they would have they would have been closer closer quote air quotes closer. Nah. Um, but the thing is, is that you know, if if they had if 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 the second film had been beyond, Into Darkness would not have been the same movie, because audiences, the audience, the people who had really enjoyed Beyond enjoyed it because it felt like a Star Trek movie, right? And they would have the 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 people who who signed the checks would have gone. This is what the audience wants, you know. And yep. so I think. That, and we wouldn't even have gotten into darkness, probably. Right, or or if we or if we'd gotten something that dealt with the same, you know, space seed, you might have gotten the space seed movie, that wasn't Wrath of Khan. Yeah, it would you know you could you could do that maybe, I don't know. Um, so it's interesting. I think that that we run into something with that that we you know we're playing with continuity that fans already know, and I think that just that's one of the things that also ticked off Discovery watchers initially is of course it's it's playing in that in that you know we it's happening before the show that we know all everything about yeah and and so there's all this like what are you going to do with the show how are you going to get how are you going to you know all the technology things all the all the things that get in the way of making a prequel we've talked about this on a lot of different things yeah and at the same time in the second season they're able to lean into characters like uh, Christopher Pike, Captain Pike, yeah, and really give you the expansion of a character who we never got that Star Trek. We never got Roddenberry's original vision of the Christopher P- Pike Enterprise, right? And here we get that character, and I think they did something. However you feel about Discovery, it's worth watching the second season just for Anson Mount playing Christopher Pike. Right. Because they lean into this character in a way that fans want the spin-off series with the Christopher Pike Enterprise. And they built those sets. They're not redresses of the of the other sets. Right. That's the standing set of the Enterprise Bridge, which is gorgeous. Uh by the way, I mean if it's, if you're going to up if you're going to update it for today's to make it look more up to date to technology, it's about one of the prettiest redesigns I've seen. And there's almost no lens flares. <laughs> kind of amazing. But the, all the reds are there. All the color scheme is there, right? And yeah. they leaned into what the what the show the, the show's colors. Maybe not the maybe not the cut of the uniform, or or the you know, the how things are shaped. But the colors are there, and that's a, as a except from, if you're gonna get nitpicky. Yeah, those colors weren't on Chris Pike's bridge. Uh, I know, but um, at the same time, uh, I don't care because I <laughs> again, well, I don't care yeah. because I got I got an interesting story with with Christopher Pike playing off the character, the the main characters they established in the first season as a contrast mm-hmm. because they put they they had character dynamics which were very rich, especially in the second season. Story stuff was still rocky in places. I'm not gonna, you know, no people people with complaints about story, I think, have some valid concerns. Right. Um, but I found myself enjoying it the same way I found myself enjoying Deep Space Nine. Because yeah. they lean into 
In fact, there's if at some point people will the 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 people behind Discovery will will sit there and admit that the final two episodes of season two are a very big tip of the hat to a certain gigantic colossal battle at Deep Space Nine. <laughs> And the and and the Klingons show up. Right. I mean, there's a there's that same moment in Discovery, where the Klingons show up, and it's it's like, okay. I think you just sat there and went. Tip the hat, and also it. I want to do that myself so bad. <laughs> that's what it feel. It it, fe it felt like it felt like uh, in, in that moment, the fans came to play in the sandbox with the toys. Right. Um. Because it's that kind of scale, and I was looking at it, going, "Very nice." I, I, this could have felt like a ripoff, mm -hmm. and it doesn't. But it feels a little more, a lot more like a, an homage, right? But they did that well. But I think there's there's something to be said for recognizing that Star Trek has that flexibility that you can do. You know, we're going to get an animated show. We're going to a new animated show. We're going to get a show about you know uh, characters who aren't. The bridge crew. We're getting we're getting right. a solo we're getting a solo series or a series about uh, Captain Picard. No, I'm sorry, Jean Luc Picard, no longer Captain, which may not have any of the original cast of Next Generation involved. I mean, it's the the idea that any of this stuff could have happened is if before Deep Space Nine right. is crazy. I mean, it, it, nobody could have foreseen this. Yep. Speaking of fan films, I have uh, I have been watching. Uh, I've been um, fortunate enough to uh, be looking at a number of Star Trek fan wow. films. For you know, I don't. You know, I need to check. I it just it just struck me. They don't. I may not be able to say this. It just hit me. I I don't know because they're not announcing. Uh, so so let's just so say there, this. so. There's a thing. There's a thing going on, and it involves watching a bunch of fan films <laughs> for a particular reason. Let's say I can't say. Uh, uh, I, I need to check and see if there's You're a thing because they're not going to announce. Yeah. They're not going to announce everybody that's participating until after the thing is is done. Right, so, right. So anyway, but yeah, I've been, I've been able to. Uh, I've been watching a bunch of fan films over the weekend, and some of them, some of them, I hate to say, are not very good at all um the enthusiasm is there mm -hmm. and i'll give them props for that because like you say you know playing in the sandbox mm -hmm. you know um every fan's dream some 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 need to change the sand out a little bit it's, oh, it's you know it's not i mean i haven't seen ouch. any i haven't seen any that really are painful to watch so much um but there are some that are, um, they're obviously not used to doing this. Right. Sure, of I'll course. I'll say it that way. 
and that's oh, a th- me. and that's the thing with that's the thing with fan films and independent films. We we've, yeah. we've seen that on the independent side. There's a lot of people who have a, a ton of enthusiasm and just all the passion in the world, and they have no skills. Right. And some of that can be fixed. Some of it, well, I think no, I think the longer and some of these some of these fan films I'm seeing done done by the same groups. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll see two or three or four different ones and. You can tell the ones that are a little bit later in the right. chrono- in the in the chronology of when they're producing these. Sure, maybe get a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, production value is is all over the map with with some oh, of these of because you know some some of them build sets, some of them use green screen stuff, some of them are actually you know some of them use the the bridge set down in, in outside of Atlanta, right? Um, which is the one that was in Oklahoma City when I did my thing with them uh, on Star right, yeah. Starby Studios. Mm-hmm. It eventually made its way through Arkansas. It sat in Arkansas for a while. Now it's in Atlanta, mm-hmm. and um, it's—I want to say—that's the bridge set they used for Star Trek Continues as well. Um, but I think I think they also used it for Farragut. And I believe so. a couple yeah. of others. So that one's down there, and then you've got the the full the full set, um, the CBS set tour up in Ticonderoga where James Colley was doing um, Phase Two, right. and he's not doing any fan films anymore because of all of that. But um, it's it's interesting to see how the the new fan film guidelines have affected those productions. Oh, because sure. There's one right there in the middle of it that's about an hour and 20 minutes long. And it's, you know, and they make a note. So you know, this went into production before the fan guidelines were put into place. Right. Because they have to say there. It's like, this is, uh, this, this has been around for a long time. We were already doing this. So I guess they got grandfathered in well, that's know, good. through some things. But, um, but yeah, it's that's good. It's it's interesting to yeah. Oh oh oh! <clears throat> Before I forget, because I almost forgot, one of the people that was interviewed in the the Star Trek the in, in the DS Nine doc was uh, a guy who you might be familiar with if you've been reading our website our articles. Uh Um, He was, uh, for the long time, he was the editor of Star Trek.com. Mr. In Spelling was uh, was featured in there with a few comments. We interviewed him as part of our tribute to Starlog. And I've still got three interviews that one of them, one of them I have finished transcribing. The other one I am still transcribing, and the other one I may just release as a podcast because it's just it's just a nice you know compact. Here here's the here's yeah. the conversation. Um, but yeah, we still have those, and you've got one uh, yeah. that you're working on. So our tribute to Starlog has been extended a little bit. Um, as long as we can get it and keep talking to really cool people, <laughs> keep going. Yeah, well, you know, and there's still there's still a couple of people that I've been chasing trying to trying to get them uh, oh, yeah. get them well, to sit the, down and talk. But the fact, the fact that they are willing to talk to us is yeah. is really wonderful, and the fact that some of these stories are just incredible, especially if you're somebody who's been a fan of Starlog growing up, or or even if you just want to know about what fan how fandom has evolved and how how the 
the reporting and how information about your shows and movies gets out is it's a fascinating look into how it all works mm -hmm. um and and just some great stories from some really really talented people who put in a lot of hard work yeah uh for starlog for fangoria for a lot of magazines about specific shows great articles uh these people put together over the years so we're very excited and, and happy that well and and pat you on the back because you really you're the one who went out and actually sat there and went hey guys <laughs> i and did and with no with no expectation of them saying yes well and the other thing too is um you know the uh, turn that off i hit a button here the other thing too is is it could have gone uh sideways really quickly because right. You know, Starlog is a copyrighted thing, and mm -hmm. it's owned by a new business entity that is, you know, they're focused right now on Fangoria. Right. But they are aware that there are people out there mm -hmm. who are wondering... You know, and would like very much. <laughs> would like very much. Let me let me let me let me put it put it this way, because the conversations that I have had with the people publishing Fangoria and the people who own Starlog, um, <clears throat> when I ask them, because the the original the original idea was, we're going to take a year. And mm -hmm. build Fangoria back to what it was, what it used to be, what it's supposed to be. And as part of that, they're they're getting into uh, not only the Fangoria magazine every quarter, but they're also right now in the middle of production on a film. Right. A Fangoria presents film, very much like Fangoria used to do. Right. And they're also into publishing prose novel type mm -hmm. type works, and. That is right now the area of concentration, but, 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 <laughs> <clears throat> when I asked about Starlog, I got told, we haven't had that conversation yet. Mm -hmm. And the use of the word yet. Yet. <laughs> tells me one of it tells me a couple of things. Yes, they're aware that people want Starlog to come back in some way, shape, or form. Right. They have to figure out how to do it. And I think looking at the Fangoria model, they're measuring and analyzing and looking at how that performs before stepping out into X and Y and Z and you know. Starlog, Gore Zone, Comic Scene, whatever else sure, is out there, right. because it because they bought it all. I mean, it's all right. out there, and I I think they know there are people that would buy this buy Starlog again. I think they have to figure out how to do it, how best to do it. Um, sure. If it were me, I have I have some ideas. <laughs> but anyone want to ask yeah, yeah exactly and, and and through the course of the conversations that I had with them and talking about the tribute to Starlog that we wanted to do 
that could have gone a different way too because one of the things that I had asked them is permission to use the Starlog logo in our artwork for the tribute. Right. And I said, this is what I want to do. Here's the artwork. I sent them I sent them copies of it and said, this is what I want to do with it. And they said, okay, yeah, sure. And they're very, very open to that kind of thing. Could it be they're letting us test the waters and see what the response is? I don't think so. But, you know, they're... It doesn't hurt them. It doesn't hurt them in any way to, to have us get a little bit of information about Starlog out in the world, does it? Well, that and um, yeah, as as we're going through and publishing these articles, I'm sending them links. Mm-hmm. And one of the most recent emails that I got from somebody on the inside over there is that she was sharing them with everyone. Right. Sinister. Yeah. Uh-huh. So you know, it's you never know. Maybe. You never know. Right, right. So, so anyway, exciting time it is. And and those of you who are who uh, missed the Fathom events, uh, uh, what we left behind, when it comes out on DVD and Blu-ray, get it, watch yeah. it. It will it will definitely be worth the time. So, yeah. all right. Well, that's going to do it for us tonight. A reminder, real quick: you can use the code software for me ten. When you buy stuff at SuperheroStuff.com, you get 10% off your order. And uh, next week, do we have anything on the on the calendar for next Monday that will keep us from doing a show on our regularly scheduled time? <laughs> I think, Not yet. I don't think we do. I think we'll be Not able to do yet. it the way it's... No, okay, our schedule is clear. So, 8 p.m. <laughs> next Monday night... We will do this again, and who knows what we'll be talking about. So, uh, I tell you what. Oh, now, um, uh, this other thing, too, um, for those of you who have missed it, over the weekends, I am doing a a little kind of just hanging out and chatting about whatever um, uh, late Saturday nights and Sunday nights, and I've got my pineapple and we'll just shoot the breeze so anybody wants to join us there you're more than welcome to and of course all the all of the time we do anything live the the chat is open we didn't have anybody uh give us any comments tonight but it's always there so uh so you're more than welcome to join us and if you're our brand new welcome thanks very much for, for watching and be sure you hit the subscribe button give us a thumbs up if you like this show even if you're watching in reruns uh, you're welcome as well. And, uh, you know, feel free to share it. Leave us mm-hmm. a comment. And then uh, tune in next week when we do this again live Monday night, 8 o'clock, right here on Sci-Fi For Me TV. That's going to do it for us. My name is Jason Hunt. I'm Timothy Harvey. And this has been the H2O Podcast. Thanks very much for watching, folks. We will be back. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio, copyright 2019 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.